welcome to another episode, the final episode of 2021, Scuttlebutt, a Marine Corps Association podcast. I'm Nick. I'm here with Vic. Hello. Will. Howdy. And Nancy is joining us here today. Hi, everyone. And we have a great sh- episode today with uh, then-Major, now-Lieutenant Colonel Adam Yang. Um, Vic, you want to give us an update on... Yeah, so uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Adam Yang uh, was getting his graduate degree at American University, as you hear about in the interview. But since uh, we recorded the interview, he has since been promoted lieutenant colonel. He's now working at uh, PPNO uh, at the Pentagon, and he's also still plugged in with the Marine Corps University, uh, working with them uh, through the Barrow Fellowship, and still working on his graphic novel, Destination Unknown. So... Very busy guy, doing a lot of things, um, and is very invested in uh, what the Marine Corps is doing, where we're going, and um, also storytelling and making sure that uh, Marines' voices are being heard and that no story is uh, left as uh, or is perceived as being insignificant. And Destination Unknown we have available on the Marine Corps Association app and within the professional resources of professional development resources of the Marine Corps Association webpage. Uh, hit on ProDev, go to Multimedia Resources, Graphic Novels, there it is. Um, so check that out. Um, and William, what do you think about it? Have you had ta- a chance to take out Destination Unknown? What do you think? Uh, I looked a little, I, I, I do like the concept because my some of my favorite Gazette articles that we see are the ones that they make their argument uh, via hypothetical future stories and, and situations and, and that it's a pretty, it's a good way to get readers' attention and a great, great way to start discussion by by presenting these these future hypotheticals, and also I think you mentioned earlier, uh, Nick, that Destination Unknown is also uh, the artists are also Marines as well. Everything in there is by Marines, yeah. Which I, I love the idea of, of Marines hubbing Marines and 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 finding ways to to better the core by using like their skills and knowledge aside from the what you traditionally think of. So like our artists, writers, storytellers are all can, can be all be influential factors in, in helping improve the Marine Corps as a whole. Yeah, and uh, but this is the last episode of 2021, so let's take a quick look ahead at 2022. Uh, we got some great stuff coming up, including in February we are putting together our first coordinated special series uh, of chaplains. And to help us introduce that, we've got Nancy here today. Nancy? Yeah, so for the month of February, Vic has put together some great interviews to mark the 78th anniversary of Four Chaplains Day. And uh, the four chaplains were four Army chaplains from four different denominations who were on a troop transport ship in 1943 going through submarine U-boat-infested waters The ship, the Dorchester, was torpedoed, and as the ship was sinking, the four chaplains on board helped to calm the men amidst the chaos and urged them into lifeboats. They even gave their life jackets to those men who were without. The chaplains remained on board the ship as it went down, and uh, Vic, you've already heard some great stories from chaplains, and I know... We're looking forward to hearing that series all throughout the month of February. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's still it's still coming together. Uh, it's almost completed now, uh, but yeah, we've had some wonderful guests. Um, the director of uh, Marine Chaplain Curriculum, 
at a local seminary. Uh, the 16th chaplain of the Marine Corps was uh, honored us with his presence, um, and the executive director of the um, Fort Chaplains Foundation uh, also joined us. So, um, yep, like you said, four chaplains, four four chaplains for four chaplains day, four weeks of chat talking about chaplains and sort of diving into a, um, I think, underappreciated and often um, uh, taken for granted uh, position within a, a commander special staff. So, yeah, hopefully you guys enjoy it. I, I really learned a lot and really enjoyed being a part of the series. So. Absolutely. Looking forward to hearing all of those. Yeah, we are excited about that. We are also launching a new email address. Yay! So Woo. we can contact uh, everybody with official scuttlebutt uh, email, which is not the MCA uh, like mainline email. Just kind of branching out, just kind of making ourselves... A direct line to Scuttlebutt. Yeah, we keep telling everyone, yeah. yeah, if you want to participate, submit an article. But, you know, why not? Yeah. Why not... Make it just easy. Just so, shoot us an email, yeah. So that is scuttlebutt at mca-marines.org, and that will be monitored by all three of us. And, yeah, and, um, and, I will, uh, and a little carrot uh, to dangle out there is if we get enough responses and we get enough people wanting to engage with our episodes, I mean, we might do like a Q&A or do a mail call episode. A mail call oh, episode. Yeah. Oh. We'll do mail call, and we'll – and, and also, too, like, feel free to submit uh, voice recordings, too, onto that. And we can even play those recordings on air as you ask, yeah. ask your questions. Yeah. And, yeah, so we'll get some, some engagement here, uh, you know, as we work towards, you know, potentially even doing maybe a live stream later on in 2022. Yeah. But, um, yeah, this will be a first go around. And then, so, yeah, if you've got questions, concerns, um, you know, please hit us up and then maybe get you on air uh, and we'll – do our best to answer whatever questions you may have. And we're looking at least respond. Yeah. And we're looking at also, William and I have been uh, looking into possibly starting our own Reddit board, which would be a great place to track what episodes are out there and what content we're plugging with the episodes. Just in case you're driving when you listen and then you're like, well, I don't want to go back and look at the show notes to find the link to the whatever. Yeah. You can yeah. just jump on the Reddit and boom, there it all is. So work in progress. We'll leave uh, more information that comes. It'll be a place for polite wonderful scholarly discussion intellectualism yes. intellectual yeah. curiosity intellectual as we curiosity. will talk more about with Sounds Andy Milburn well, the year. only people who are going to know about it are the people who listen to the podcast ergo the good ones yes, <laughs> yes. the chosen few the um, chosen few so yeah but, and then if you have any other suggestions on how we maybe can uh, expand our uh, our reach use the email address <laughs> alright so we're going to also lightly talk to some of our uh, our uh, showbiz friends um, in January to kind of get the tension out there during award season and hopefully get some yeah uh, we've got um, actor extraordinaire Jeff Stoltz and we have uh, documentarian Stephen Canty former Marine so. Looking forward to that. And then we've got bigger plans going down the road, and we'll reveal more as it comes up. But thanks for a great 2021. We're moving into 2022. Uh, take it away past Vic and Nick with the interview with uh, then-Major Yang. All right. Well, uh, hello, everyone. So uh, this is Vic 
And I'm also again here with Nick, the Nick and Vic show. Um, we are also uh, honored to have JC here, our intern. Say hello. Oh, you're muted. There we go. <laughs> hey And we have our uh, esteemed guest. We're very honored uh, to have uh, Major Adam Yang here, who right. is um, working through Marine Corps University, um, is a PhD student, is an overall hard charger, and is the creator of the graphic novel series Destination Unknown. So welcome. Thanks, man. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, dude, you're the man. Appreciate you taking the time to be here. Um, so we know each other because our kids went to kindergarten right. together. And um, so we'll spend most of the day talking about the education system. That's it right. <laughs> Fairfax <laughs> County. No, man, we ain't got time. We ain't got time for that. We won't be talking about that. But what we will be talking about is education. But if you could, because you've got a pretty cool backstory, if you mind filling in our listeners on sort of who you are, how you came up, feel free to take as little or as much time as you want. But uh, I think the fact that you're a Mustanger is going to be really uh, intriguing and provocative for our listeners. Right. So I went to, uh, so I grew up in New York City, and uh, you know I went to a pretty good high school called Brooklyn Technical High School, mm. but I wasn't. I didn't have very good grades, and I don't know. I wasn't very school. Is that where Miles then. Morales went in Spider Verse? It was near it. He went to Midwood, I think. Okay. Oh no, actually went to a private school near, near Midwood. Nice. If I had to guess, but I th I thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I had a friend that was uh, you know joining the Marines, and he kind of you know he gave me the spiel that his recruiter gave him. I was one of his, like, you know, you know, if you bring in two, you get promoted kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was one of the twos. And uh, he brought me into, you know, RS Flatbush in Brooklyn back in 1997. And, you know, I sort of liked the idea of venture, you know, maybe some college money. But, you know, I was, I was just planning on going to, like, a, like a New York State college. And, but I didn't really have many ambitions at the time. I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, but I sort of was attracted to sort of the, the big idea of the Marine Corps. I know talking to you, you probably understand oh, yeah. what that means. And, uh, you know, at the end, when I was going through this booklet, uh, my recruiter was like, oh, that's the Naval Academy. I was like, oh, what's that? He's like, oh, you know, you go there and become an officer. And he's like, if you want to do that, there's a way to do, to do that through the Marine Corps. And, uh, you know, while well enlisting. And I never really thought about applying. I definitely didn't have the grades or anything like that to apply just straight outright. So that was always in the back of my head. Um, I enlisted as a, a, as a radar tech, 5942, for the big flat green radar system. And uh, I was stationed out in Yuma, Arizona. Nice. And uh, at that time, the, the Naval Academy used to send out recruiters out to, uh, you know, Twin Palms and Yuma and different different places where the PME, I mean, the PME schools were, or the MOS schools right, were, because that's right. where your young enlisted were. Mm -hmm. And they used to try to pick us off to go apply for the Naval Academy. And when they came out to, I think, first Twin Palms when I went to MOS school, I was like, oh, yeah, I wanted to go there. I was <laughs> like, oh. And I had a gunnery sergeant that really encouraged me to go do it. And and I applied and, and got pulled into the, the NAPS, the prep school in Newport, Rhode Island. And then I, I went to the Naval Academy in 2001, I graduated in 2005, and, and became a communications officer. So that was a very uh, uh, condensed story. But, you know, um, I, was, uh, I had a kernel of an idea back, in, back as a teenager, and I, I followed through on it. But it was sort of by accident. And, yeah. you know, here I am. <laughs> that's awesome, man. That's no. so cool. Yeah, it's interesting um, how those sort of, like, seeds – get planted and then you're like oh yeah oh, yeah. <laughs> I totally remember that oh, yeah that looked cool yeah oh, yeah, yeah. That's, right. that's awesome uh yeah you know the marine corps marketing system is, is 
awesome for uh, and it's very intentionally awesome uh -huh. uh, but yeah i remember uh same thing you know as a kid just like looking at the posters um the you know the super bowl ads and stuff and just like huh and then something came up like wait a minute <laughs> right so yeah that's really cool um how has being uh prior enlisted sort of shaped your career path like i know that um there's a certain i don't want to say stigma but there's a definitely a a precedent i think that's set especially for enlisted guys when they see that they're CO or their OIC was prior enlisted. There's a certain level of expectation, right? Do you agree with that? Or I do. I think that helps once you get out to you know your platoon or your 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 detachment or whatever it is, and the and the Marines know you're prior enlisted. There's a different level of a uh, there's a connection that definitely is there yeah. because you can relate on that level. Like, hey, Lance Corporal Yang thought the same thing, you know, yeah. and you can sort of speak to them that level. In terms of actual performance, and there are a lot of people talk about this, but I think all that sort of washes away. The, the Marine Corps does a really good job, you know, regardless if you come from uh, ROTC, PLC, Naval Academy. You know, by the time you get out of P uh, TBS, you don't really notice where right. people are commissioned from, even Naval Academy people, and you're all sort of really on equal footing. So I think the Marine Corps does a good job there. But in terms of the, you know, being prior enlisted, there's a there's a personal connection with yeah. the enlisted that that's I think different. Probably give you a little bit of more. I want to say like. Authority, I think authority is, is, like you said, I think Marine Corps does a good job of establishing that. But right. at the same time, I think there's a level of authenticity. So when you say, like, hey, don't go out and act like a knucklehead this weekend, they're like, oh, yeah, because he used to go out on the weekend. I was a knucklehead. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was that absolute knucklehead. So, yeah, I think I think that's pretty cool. Um, and then what about then, because you, so you talked about Naval Academy um and that seed bed is there anything sort of as you were a young enlisted person that uh the professional development aspect like were there mentors or gunnery sergeants sassar and sergeants maybe who were just like dude you've got something you mentioned the gunnery that was right, like hey. so speak a little bit about that mentorship piece and the professional development the young enlisted age so there's a Right. So when I was enlisted, there was a there was a listed, there was a gunnery sergeant and a warrant officer. It really helped me with my application and things like that. And I guess, um, I guess they were very supportive. Um, the people who were not supportive were people who maybe other lance corporals who wanted to apply also. Mm. But I don't know why. You know, for whatever you know, if they had a child or something like that, you're not eligible for naval academy. But they were very encouraging in terms of applying, just going for it. And uh, once they found out that I was trying to apply for the naval academy, you know, they. They they knew Naval Academy graduates and they came and talked to me and helped me, you know, write an essay or help me uh, link up with some people and figure things out. But I thought I thought that was very uh, encouraging. And then, you know, similarly when I became an officer, um, you know, if I knew of any of my enlisted or anyone around me who were similarly trying to do something, if mm -hmm. I could help out, I always wanted to help out. Um, maybe that's part of the, the Marine Corps familial aspect of yeah being a Marine. So would you say that that's institutional or would you say that's more personal or is that a a perfect blending of the two. Right. I, I want to say, I mean, I'll, I'll be very optimistic. I want to say it's institutional. Yeah. You know, we try, to, we, we try to teach, you know, taking care of Marines, officer eat last, that kind of mentality. And I think that's that's pervasive in our whole culture. Even in boot camp, you know, you help out your, yeah. your rack mate and you help out these other people. So when you walk up that idea all the way up, you know, it, 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 it also shows up when you apply for Naval Academy and it also shows up on the battlefield also. So I think yeah, it's, I want right. to say it's institutional. And then, so what about other programs such as like MESEP or ECP, MCP? 
Um, are those as um, institutionally, um, uh, I guess, encouraged, or is that more the the individual marine has to take the initiative? So they're, they're, it's a little bit encouraged. So I, I, I speak to this because I was the education officer in my first unit, 7th <laughs> nice. Engineer Support Battalion, and all the MESEP and, and officer ascension programs used to come to me. And uh, every, you know, other Marines would reach out to me directly, or every once in a while someone, you know, another lieutenant or warrant officer said, hey, I got someone who's interested. Let's help them out. And, you know, I'd, I'd re I would reach out and say, hey, let's start pulling them in. And I mean, I didn't know anybody. I thought I was just trying to help people, but. Um, institutionally, there was no pressure to do it. I You're think right. I just wanted to do it because their warrant officer wants this sergeant or corporal to yeah. you know, okay. be an officer. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, and so then where – how did that – how was that then being at the Naval Academy where, you know, truth be told, you're taking from a pretty selective population. Like there's a lot of wickets that maybe some of the people on uh, – in the – I guess the, the the more less represented demographic don't necessarily know of or have the opportunity. So you're, you're pulling from a pretty select cadre of society initially. Right. You come in as a prior enlisted. What was that? Was there a culture shock there? How did your fellow midshipmen view you? Were they looking to you as, hey, this is big brother now? or Right. So there's a little bit of that, yeah. looking to the prior enlisted and – that happened at Naps and also at the academy. And Naps is the preparatory school in Newport, Rhode Island, for about nine months before you go to the academy because they don't want you to academically fail out of the system. Right, right, get you ready. Yeah. So there's definitely that little bit of big brother aspect of you know learning the culture and what to do and marching in uniforms and you know just kind of military sort of that um, that sort of behavior and attitude. You know they look to you for that. But you know being the Naval Academy, I think as a prior enlisted, you get humbled really quick. Mm. You're not going to be the top of your class immediately. These, I mean, because the academy is at least, in my experience, they recruit from you know the, the 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 cream of these applicants. Right, right. And they're they're excellent, excellent athletes and smart people. So, and that can go two ways for the prior enlisted going to the mm. system. Like you're either going to just fall, you know, you're either going to keep this weird chip on your shoulder, thinking that you're better than the midshipmen or cadets around you. Right. Or you be, or you just kind of embrace and be like, hey, I'm with some great people around me. And, you know, I can I can work with this and use that to lift me up and get involved and do my best. Right. Or you kind of have this weird chip in your shoulder. And I've seen them. I've seen both things happen. Um, but um, and it can go and work out very positively or poorly for that enlisted going through the academy. Yeah. Um, I think that's just good life advice, really. Right. <laughs> like sort of take a step back no matter where you are. Right. Cool. So then how then did all of these uh, really nuanced experiences then help you with the creation of your uh, of your graphic novel? So if I were to really like dig deep like internally, so the, the point of the novel is to get like young officers and young enlisted interested about ideas of security and strategy. And uh, I don't know if you were prior enlisted, Vic, or not. No, or no, just a but knucklehead. Yeah, right, but a knucklehead it. lieutenant. Like, yeah, did you yeah. really understand your, like, strategic environment? I don't uh, know, out of yeah. TBS or what was really going on? I mean, maybe I mean, maybe you would have out of, um, you know, going to college beforehand. But I think back to, like, being a Lance Corporal. It's like I didn't understand um, the idea of, like, you know, duty, loyalty, service, you know, ethos, and, and even I mean, security and strategy. Those are just, like, really yeah. big ideas I never thought about. And, you know, with the graphic level, level like this, 
the idea is that maybe you can start nourishing those ideas really early on. And, you know, you don't know what you're going to get at the end of it, but that's the idea of the graphic novel. Because I look back to myself and, you know, people who go through the system, you have no idea what's going on. You know, you're just a, yeah. a Lance Corporal PFC going through whatever you're going through. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, Second Lieutenant Rubel was like, you know, and this is Clinton era, you know, when I came in. So, I mean, it was like, is you're then a Mew or you're a non-player, you know, at the strategic level? Sure. Uh, and... So, yeah, everybody was just sort of getting ready, but it was just this horse race to try to get the Mew. Right. And so Or, you know, maybe you get a UDP, you sit on the rock, maybe do a couple of cool things here and there. But, yeah, it, the Mew was the Golden Boys. Right. And, um, yeah, so there wasn't a lot of, like – Like, why are you doing this? Right, yeah, there was no, like, engagement really with, like, the strategic world because it's like, well, if I'm not going out on a Mew, I don't really need to follow current events. Right. And that's a big criticism in our whole like PME system. Like you don't really start thinking of that that larger operational strategy level till you're a major and you go to command and staff. Even EWS, that's still a very tactical, functional level school, right? Mm -hmm, Focus mm -hmm. on amphibious warfare. Mm -hmm. But you know, I, it, I'm sure it touches on the bigger ideas of like uh, maybe a strategy, so maybe IR theory. But you don't get that till you're a, a major, at least a mid-level mid officer, 10, 11 years in. Yeah. And that's when they start opening your mind towards these bigger ideas but you know there's so the idea is like hey why can't you introduce these ideas earlier yeah and why can't you do that through a different medium no i totally yeah i think it's i think this is a wonderful concept um you know i again going back to just you know pre 9 11 days like we had no idea who al-qaeda was right um we knew that there were obviously some people are upset with the united states but we're the big dog, so of course there's going to be hater aid, you know, serve at the parties. Right. And that was pretty much the extent of like, and I know, granted, I try to keep up to date, but this was before, like, I mean, 24 hour news was just sort of becoming the in vogue thing. You know, CNN hadn't really been around. Like, I don't even think Fox News even really existed yet yeah. um, when I was a lieutenant. And so it was really like we were only ingesting what was being fed. And things like international awareness, especially of impoverished countries, was not what you had to worry. Like, unless you're going to take out a mu, then you needed to know about the right. region. And the 90s was a very confused strategic era also, yeah. right? It was the end of the Cold War, and we had this massive Cold War military, yeah. but, no, but no opponents. So what do yeah. we do? We start putting out fires you know, across the planet. Sure. The Mews were very important back then, and then there's a lot of drawdowns. But it was a confused sort of experience. Yeah. But you don't, you know, when you're going through it in the 90s, you know. I, well, you didn't see, you didn't even right. really get to see, like, you weren't really looking for much more than what was being, you were being told. Like, you were happy with that level of information. So I remember when, like, the USS Cole was bombed. Oh, that's right. It was just like, what a bunch of dickheads, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. f like, it, but that was it. That was the extent of, hey, well, let's find them and we'll you know, rough them up and then put them in jail or right. whatever. It wasn't like there wasn't the spider web of, holy geez, there's an entire network of people that want to see America fall. Right. And like you think about it now, you know, trying to speak academically or theoretically about it, the Navy, that was a that was a crushing moment for the Navy. They had a massive warship and it there, it was basically non-functional. Because of uh, uh, because of a couple of uh, terrorists on a boat on a mm -hmm. small boat that they yeah. had no idea. Yeah. So you know that made the navy reevaluate itself. It's like you know what do we we spent a lot of money on it and then you know they're 
they just lost a lot based off of very, mm-hmm. uh, a very low tech type uh, adversary there. You yeah. know, that they didn't expect in the first place. Yeah, and you just thought like, well, we'll it, it was like, it was. I sort of think of it as almost like, um, you know, seeing uh, like cockroaches or whatever, right? right like, right. oh, I just need to kill this one. Like, right, here's right. a cockroach, kill him. Okay, we're done. Like, that's pest control. Right. <laughs> and then you, like, you pull back the drywall. You're like, holy shit, there's a ton right. of bugs here. And they're carrying explosives. Yeah, and no one told me. And I was not curious enough to even think to look. Right. Uh, we're in a very different world now, and I think this is where Destination Unknown um, is a wonderful vehicle. Because uh, it's like you said, it's the, we're in this, you know, it's a gives up the Marines gives the service members not just an opportunity to um, tease their curiosity, but to now engage. Right. And they can join the fight. You know, we're constantly looking for authors and writers to do it. And, you know, if you look at the quality of stories, these aren't like New York Times or Pulitzer or any things. You know, I I write for it as well. But it shows these people reading it, hopefully, that, oh, I can write something like this. I'll have an idea. Yeah. And hopefully we can bring those uh, stories in. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and I, th- I want to definitely encourage anyone who's interested in this or just for our listeners. Like, it's no one's – there isn't a prerequisite that you have, like, the crystal ball and that you're going to nail it every time you right. make um, – you know, that you propose a theory or you engage with innovation and future systems, future conflicts. But just the fact that you're even in the game is significant. Right. You know, I mean, yeah, sure, it's easy to sit up in the cheap seats and go, that would never happen. But you're in the cheap seats. Right. Like, if you w- – then give us your opinion. Do you have an opinion? Put it on paper, man. Right. And I think this is one of the great ways um, – one of the things – one of the themes that we try to tease out in this podcast is this idea of art and uh, how – um, art reflects life, life reflects art. But sure. I think from a military standpoint, it is almost, it's not, it, it's more rich than just um, sort of telling a cool story. It's 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 trying to almost like step into the wardrobe, you know? Right. And enter Narnia for just a little bit of time. Right. And, you know, there I, I talked about it in, uh, somewhere else before, but like, the military has been sort of exploiting comics for like since World War Two, you know, even before that for propaganda. You know, look yeah, at Captain America. Captain America, yeah. The first sure. issue of Captain America is him punching Hitler in the face. <laughs> yeah. That's the cover of Captain America, <laughs> and uh, and and but the, you know when we were creating this idea, you know, we thought back like these were all done by professionals. Right, this was like Marvel. These were actual Jack Kirby. You know, the these Jack were Kirby, actual yeah, yeah. these were actual um, professional artists and writers. And we're like, well, you know, we got to have our own. You know, how do we separate from that? So, I mean, it wasn't obvious at first, but it's like, hey, this needs to be our homebrew. This is craft beer, right? That yeah, yeah, yeah. That we're doing in our, our foot locker. And our, our, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. These are that we're doing in the barracks, right? So this is this is our, like a homegrown sort of look on how to do it. So it's all officer enlisted, active, and reserves that are the content creators. You know, we have a lot of support elsewhere, but yeah. um, that, was, uh, that was an important thing. I think we sort of found our rhythm, but like, hey, it's by the warfighter for the warfighter. That's sort of our uh, mantra. And, and so speaking of that, so yeah, those uh, those early comics uh, were just uh, you know guys who were geeking out. They didn't really have military background, but they could draw. They could tell cool stories. Right. How have you guys been received coming into that world? Because that hasn't really that dynamic hasn't changed among comic book creators, oh. right? Right. I guess I um, 
So we get support from uh, August Cole, who's a sci-fi writer, and then also Mark Sable, who's a uh, actual comic writer, and he, he illustrates on the side. And they've been very receptive, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of coming into the space. And they're, they're yeah, I know, I know you're a creative writer yourself, and um, but there's a you, you tweak that creative writing and the style to fit a comic. You know, there's a certain it's cadence. Hard, and yeah. And writing a novel is not the same as writing a graphic novel. Right, yeah. but, but you can do it, and yeah. you know we can all do it. And you know, I'm sure maybe you made comics when you were a kid in your own comics. For sure, it's a lot of the same ideas, but you know, whittling it down and getting down to it. And I guess it's just the writing process. Like, what are you really trying to say? And it's painful. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I guess what I'm thinking is like, so you're a almost like a subgenre within a subgenre. Right. So have the has the comic book world embraced this? I don't know. Oh, I, okay. To be honest, I, I, I have no idea. But um, well, it sounds like you're at least gaining some momentum by having, right. you know, novelists and comic book people right. you know, participating. S right. So I guess since our audience is other, you know, warfighters and people in this sort of business, uh, I think they've received it. And in general, the government's always embraced it. They just don't. You know, it always it, they're always in like little weird pockets. Mm. Um, like the Navy, they have a real interesting comic called The Docks. And um, this was this came out in the like the 2000s, maybe the late 2000s, around the time of PTSD, mm. understanding that. And it's a story of a uh, corpsman going through, you know, the oh, pre-deployment. Oh, so DOCs, not DOCKs. Docks. Right, okay. right, 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 DOCs, right. It's about corpsmen, you know, in the pre-deployment cycle, going through, like, the trauma of war and then, you know, or helping Marines through it and then coming back. And they made a comic like that. And I don't know, it was never really advertised well. I only found it because I was digging, mm. trying to find, you know, what, what does the military do right now? You mm -hmm, know, if we're mm -hmm. gonna if we're gonna enter this game, you know, what's everyone else doing? And that was one of the ones I found. Um, the, the army comes out with some real elaborate stuff, but they're, once again, they're all like high class, you know, serious professionals. It looks like any comic you'd find yeah. in the store. Yeah, because they're, con they're, they're, they're paying for it. Right, they're definitely paying for it. Um, so you know the the so it's always been in our system, but it doesn't really come out. So we figured, you know, um, when I came up with this idea, um, you know, I was still, yeah, I think I was a command staff student, or maybe a year out of it, and mm. but I was still affiliated with the school, being with the PhD program. So I was like, hey, why don't we do something and jam it into the PME system, yeah. or tried our best to do it since we're already here, and and you know that's how we're maybe that's how we differentiate ourselves. Yeah. Okay, that's awesome. So yeah, I I do actually. I hate to backpedal a yep. little bit here, but you mentioned the PhD program. Before we get too much more into Destination Unknown, can we talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's a fascinating thing. Right. So, so the the PhD system. Okay. I'm trying. I'm trying to even think where to begin. I guess the idea is that you know I'm in. There's a PhD strategist program, which is yep. what I'm in, and then there's a PhD like technologist, and the idea is that. I guess I guess we're always trying to figure out how to do war better and make it mm -hmm. more efficient. Mm -hmm. And uh, other services have been doing that. The Army is who we really model ourselves on, is that if you have these really high-level thinkers, you know, can we help the services and the COCOMs organize for war better? And hence the idea of strategy behind it. So the Marine Corps, you know, we, we the, the Army is probably five or six, maybe seven years into the system, and we're in our, our third year right now, trying to emulate the Army's PhD PhD program. And the idea is that you create these PhD strategists and they're put into select, you know, quote unquote strategic locations within the defense apparatus and they help steer strategy better, you know. Um, but strategy is a funny concept. The more I'm like thinking about, you know, this pretentious title and program I'm in, you know, like, well, how do I really fit into this? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, who does strategy? And it's like, well, 
a lot, like one third of the Pentagon, half of the Pentagon does strategy. A lot of the services do strategy, the COCOMs do it. So you find out, you know, strategy is this really democratic um, process. And, uh, you know, as a strategist, you know, the Marine Corps uh, hopes to put us at these critical, you know, times and places and moments and offices mm -hmm. so that when the strategy, you know, when the strategy game is on and you're trying to craft something for war, you're there to kind of, you know, put your hands in the right places to steer it a certain way. You know, that's a real high-level view of it, but that's what it yeah. is. You know, it's like when the coach comes out and calls on the right-hander. Right. Right, like right, maybe something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The thing is that there's a lot of people in the strategy game, so we're not really sure how it will mm. benefit the service. The Marine Corps is trying to figure out, you know, creating, like, internal think tanks and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's a bit of a science experiment, and, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I'm very privileged and thankful yeah, for being yeah. a part of it. That's really cool. I, I think that um, – I think kind of like what we're talking about almost with Destination Unknown, it's like, well, you're participating. Right. Like we, maybe we don't have a necessarily very clear end state as of yet, but we're in the game. Right. And, yeah, it might be some discovery and learning here, but we're going to be better at the end of it, even if the whole thing goes, you know, totally pear-shaped. Right. We're still going to be better at the end of it had we not tr even tried at all. Right. And there's like a deeper uh, within the culture of, you know, I like talking about military culture, but then the culture of the DOD and the Marine Corps. You know, we do put a lot of stake in, like, hey, we, you know, the, the commander or the or the corporal on the ground or the lieutenant, we think these people matter and that they can educate them and get them, you know, positioned well if they're going to make a difference. And mm -hmm. I think PhD is sort of part of that, part of that spirit, you know. That's cool. Yeah, I totally. Uh, and so how did you get turned on to this? Because the, the comic book or the program? The, the program. Because until we talked, I was not even aware it existed. Um, you know, it, it was sort of a new thing. And. I was in Okinawa when the when the first Maradman came out. I didn't even, I didn't even know about it, and uh, I guess I have some. There are some academics in my in my family who had PhDs. Also, I was like, they can do it. I can do it. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I just applied just to see what happened. I actually got rejected the first time, but I was on alternate. I applied the second time, and 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 I think some of the the selection kid may have remembered me or whatever reason. Yeah. But I got selected the second time around. Okay. Right. So let's do the Mar admin. Right, but I really had no idea. Yeah, and, you know, it's still a funny thing thinking. You know, do we really need PhD strategic thinkers? Why not just hire a hire a guy off the yeah, street? Right. Yeah, you, know, you could hire some guy out of Harvard or Yale right now. Yeah. But um, you know, they find an August Cole, right? And right, just exactly. A ton of money. But there's this sort of a homegrown aspect I think we're seeing. You know, you want this practitioner slash academic with the practitioner side up front, and that you know, if you can broaden the view for the service, you know, you can bring that in and hopefully make that strategy better when, when the time counts. Yeah, yeah nice. Uh, that's a deeper idea, I think. And then, um, and so American universities where you're at yeah. in D.C., mm -hmm. uh, was there, uh, is that the only school participating in this? That was uh, one of the schools that we were sort of told to go to. Mm. Um, but that was, they had a, a, pr a prior relationship probably through uh, Dr. Ben Jensen over at Marine Corps University. Okay. So they were part of the initial experiment and uh, myself and uh, another uh, um, major at the time, now Lieutenant Colonel Ian Campbell, you know, me and him, we both went to the school and it's been a fantastic experience, but yeah, we're, we're glad. It was a it was a great choice and uh, we're very happy with it. Go Eagles. Yeah, yeah, I was on the other side of the quad for That's you, right. but I had a great time there as well. That's right. <laughs> um, all right, so going back, getting back to Destination Unknown, um, I find an interesting thing and, and we'd had a previous interview where we talked a little bit about this. It was... Um, but if you look, if you go to Barnes and Noble, mm -hmm. and if you go to Borders, uh, and to a certain extent, if you go to uh, you know your local comic book store, you're going to see um, 
a very specific kind of narrative. When it comes to the military, I think you're going to find the Medal of Honor winner that's on the shelf, and then you're going to find the general of the task force, you know. And so you're not getting necessarily as much of uh, a, I don't know, what's the term, but uh, a, a, a wide of a selection. Uh, you're getting a very specific narrative, and so I think that sort of informs the public. But then I think it also affects the individual Marine. Like, where's my story right. in all this? Like, do I have to be a Medal of Honor winner to matter? Mm. Or do I have to be the CG of, you know, RCT5 to uh, be seen in this thing? Mm. I don't know. What are some of your thoughts there? Right. There's a, there's definitely a perspective on what sells and what's interesting, right? The high-level commander or, like, the, the commando, the, the, you know, the Captain Americas of, of that. Right, right, right. So there's the guy who killed Bin Laden. Right. Yeah. It's like, you know, there are some major, you know, usually male heroes, right, that are represented there. I guess through this, hopefully, if we're looking from the bottom up, that we do want to show different perspectives on, you know, the, the uh, on warfare that you might not get if you're looking from the top down. But if you look at the, the pr same problem or the same issue from the bottom up, you might get a different look. Um, I think I tried to tell that in my story. Uh, it was called uh, Second Chance with Aria about the AI and recruiting. And it, it just showed some girl who didn't get selected because the AI system said she wasn't good enough, mm. you know? So I wasn't trying to uh, tell like a deep story about this AI algorithm that figured out all this stuff. It just, it just showed, it, it was just a story about, you know, this is what can happen. You, you, you might, you might miss a lot of good people if you don't get it. And maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe, I guess the, the point of these stories is that if we can tell it from the bottom up and tell it from these different angles, the, the answer that you tell is, is less important than the questions that come up after it. Nice. Right. Uh, yeah. That's how you really think good. about it. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. The, the idea that the, it's the question that matters, not necessarily always having the answer. Right. Um, yeah. And I think, too, like just engaging with the text um, and finding finding your voice in the crowd of voices right i think that matters right like uh, like i i i participated here like i, I mattered sure. in this massive you know big blue arrow thing right and uh i think the, i think this is why we like the whole um, art aspect of it because people will just pick it up just to look at the art even mm -hmm. if they read the story and there's a certain level of attraction i um, mean talking to um ian brown over at the krulak center you know they 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 shun on a lot of DVs in and out, a lot of foreign militaries, and they always grab the destination unknowns. You know whether they read it. I yeah. don't know whether that influences their decisions in life <laughs> at all, but they're interested in it just for the the pictures. Yeah. You know, yeah. at least at least initially, and they they'll read through whatever they read through. Yeah. And so there's a certain appeal there, you know, just with having you know some artistry involved. I think that's yeah, and, and, and like we talked about a little bit, like there's a difference between a novel, a memoir, and then a graphic novel. Sure. There's so much nuance that goes into, you know, making these pages other than just right. having readable words and cool-looking pictures. Right. Um, and so I think, like, we start to think, like, um, you know, where people can uh, start to see themselves. So there's lots of different types of, of military writing styles, right? You have your after-action reports, you oh have yeah. your point papers, op orders. Uh, then y and when you get out, you can write a memoir or whatever. But I feel like 
the what you guys are doing here is n- not just like, hey, I'm going to take my experiences, but then I'm going to project it forward. Right. And then imagine a world of the unknown. Right. Right? Right. And this is done a little, you know, this is definitely done on a lower level, but part of the business of war, you know, when we're not fighting war, is imagining war. It's a really the same thing. You know, part, you know, the Pentagon forecasts 10 years out, 15 years out. They have to imagine war, you know, Granted, they use like real intelligence and different things like that, but this is sort of the same trope. But so we extend past that, you know, by decades because we want to look at, uh, you know, we try to pull out the real social deeper level problems. We're not trying to figure out technologies and we're not trying to solve immediate problems. But um, I guess that's what the graphic novel is for. You know, it's it's a way of imagining war, and that's what you know that's part of the fun of it. So we give a lot of leeway to our artists and writers on what they want to write about. That's so cool. Yep. And so th- then how w- how does that work uh, as far as if someone did have like, hey, I got a, a cool idea that I want to – do they submit a sort of like treatment to you or they just send you guys an email or something say, hey, like I got this cool story or Th- – that's, that's, exac- that's exactly it. Yeah. Right. It's like, hey, I have an idea or, or – uh, or they may have an idea, and we help them shape it a little bit if they if they want the help. And but what's funny about the first issue is that we had writing prompts. We mm. didn't really know <laughs> the, re- the initial dream was to put out one writing prompt, put it out by Marabin, and get a bunch of stories. <laughs> that was see, this is how us our wonky thinking back then. It's like, oh, we'll put it out there. Yeah, we'll let people send their stories and illustrations, and we'll slap it all together and make a comic book. Yeah, but that was one of our original ideas. So by the time we decided to do it, you know, more uh, centralized and everything like that, we did give each writer a writing prompt. And it's like, hey, write around this idea, write around this idea. But for our second and now working on our uh, third issue, we're just, you know, just write whatever you want to write about. And, you know, and we put them far out. Like, hey, 2075, because we don't want to get caught up in, like, you know, all the discussions going on now. Mm -hmm. We want to send them out into the destination unknown. Nice. Right, like that. Oh, cool. And we'll make sure that uh, we get the links and stuff okay, uh, in the show notes and podcast notes so that people know where to go um, to uh, participate in this. And I, I highly encourage anybody to do that. Um, one of the things, too, I think about storytelling, this idea of sharing ideas. And what I'd like uh, for you to maybe th- talk about is how leadership can share in this Uh and my thought is, is that what you could maybe talk a little bit about the value of, say, a task force commander or a battalion commander picking this thing up and maybe not necessarily seeing one of their Marines in here, but just seeing what Marines are thinking about. Right. So, so at the end of each story here, we have a set of questions. And uh, so each story does sort of have like some type of narrative or some type of um, lesson or whatever it is that they're trying to tell. And there are sort of set of questions that go along with it. If I were a commander and I wanted to open up like dialogue with my wardroom or my officers with my, enlist, uh, with my enlisted, they can use this as a tool not to like teach the, the, the story itself, but to just open a dialogue with their, with, their, with their soldiers and sailors or whatever it is. You know, so this can just sort of be like a, uh, you know, not a tool to learn per se, but a tool to engage your mm. your people. So part of what we are really proud about is that you know I you, you opened up a story before. It's called the Matter of Instinct. It was written by Major Tim Riemann and uh, Corporal um, Gerard Moore from Macayoc. 
and that's one of my favorite stories because it had an interaction between the officer enlisted. They like they worked together. They they got together. They they shaped the story together, and they worked as a team to create the product. Um, and that's something that we know we we we've always been really proud of because this is what we exact we wanted is that you get this sort of interaction between people that would never interact with each other, but they did for that story. Um, so you talk about how commanders can use this as a tool. You don't have to use it as a tool to to teach the the, the 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 actual idea of the story. You can use it as the way to open up engagement with your with your uh, with your troops. And uh, that's how I would use it. You know, if you're yeah, the way you ask that question, for yeah. sure. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's there's so many ways I think yeah. that this helps us uh, envision the future, and then also in like not just for the individual storytellers to engage, but then for people who are reading to right. like you know have that sort of cyclical relationship, um, even if you never right do anything more than just read it. I think it. It uh, it invites you to participate, right? Which and is like so so cool. And this could be a gateway for you know a a, a bigger idea, you know something some you know some four hundred page book on the Kawanach reading list. Yeah. But you know you don't have to do that, but you can do a, a ten minute story here. Well, and how often though, when you look back at things, you see that like, well, we're in a we're especially now in this era where science fiction and science fact. Oh, is a right. very thin line, right? Right. And so if you get some, like, you know, these kids who are playing with the toys and envisioning what it would be like 30 years from now to have these same types of things right. or to hear about initiatives and then to envision what it would be like, I think there's a lot of lot of value there. And who knows? Somebody may actually nail it. Right. And, and uh, you know, this is just, you know, we talk about this as part of the big PME game. That's what PME system, you know, that's what the PME – uh, system tries to do also, you know, they teach you where the stuff about history and warfare and yeah. IR, and eventually, some one of those uh, one of those tools might come in very helpful for someone. We don't know who it's going to be, but it's it's yeah. uh, you know, we do it to hopefully have that individual ready for that moment. But then we also do it just to enrich ourselves because sure. we think by doing that it makes the whole service better. Yeah. So well, I mean, you think about um, oh, I'm gonna. I'm brain farting right now, but um, iRobot. Was that uh, Bradbury, Asimov? Who I, was yeah. That? Asimov. Yeah, so you, would you imagine that Asimov, when he was writing iRobot, was thinking about algorithms? Right. He Probably not. But where are we right now? Like, we're looking at AI and algorithms like, oh, dude, this thing's – like, this is Skynet, man. We're about to go sentient. Right. He had the three rules too, right? Yeah. The, the four rules or whatever it was. One like, hey, don't let machines do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's so cool. Um, so uh, in the um, first few pages here of uh, in your letters from the editor, you mentioned uh, a few types of PME uh, and how they challenge minds and assumptions. Uh, while these are effective, clearly, because, uh, you know, we continue to use them with, with great effect, um, you ask if there's other ways to stretch our creativity. Um, is that – is that w another one of like the seed beds or the impetuses behind this project? Is like, can we go beyond the right. the model? Yeah, I think that. I mean, that might have been like a romantic thing that we wrote in there. <laughs> <laughs> we were trying, you know, we were just like, oh, let's just write this in. But like, um, right, right. So we, I mean, if you look at the PME space and like how we do it, like I don't see any graphic model model you know, novels in that system. We're like, oh yeah, that's where we sort of fit in, and whether it works or not. 
I mean, it's it's hard to really tell, you yeah. know, to measure the effectiveness of your comic book or the or the comics that we write. But um, but it is a different way of looking at it, and you know, it might not catch the normal uh, EWS student, but it might catch, you know, uh, some sergeant in sergeant's course, you yeah, know, and, yeah. and get them in that way. And we don't really know, uh, but you know, it's something it's something novel and different. So I guess that would be like the functional value of it. So when we were creating this, we also looked at sort of like the practical value, right? The sort of officer enlisted teaming or just teaming with people you would never work with. Mm -hmm. And we also looked at it as a way to network between and, and have individuals meet. And there's the individual aspect of just, you know, becoming a better writer or becoming an artist. You know, some of our artists, they, they use their illustrations and they put a part of their portfolios, you know, because they're trying to, uh, you know, market themselves mm -hmm. in different ways. So mm -hmm. it's actually very beneficial for some of the people uh, doing that also. So. Yeah, and who knows who this like might light a fire under someone, right? To be the next August Cole or something, right? Right. But you know, th I know seeing a couple, couple of artists, but there's something they're proud of also. And I mean, I'm glad that you know at least we had this vehicle for them to kind of you know expand themselves in different ways. Yeah, no. yeah. No, it, I, I've I've put my uh, foot into the trying to craft a graphic novel, and after about three pages, I'm like, this is hard. Oh, hey, you can do it. I, I believe <laughs> you. Even with stick figures and stuff. I've seen your writing. It's good. You can do it. It's just sort of uh, the artistry is the hardest part of the whole process. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so could we talk just a little of the logistics then? Like what were some of the stuff that you – like how, how hard was this to get off the ground? It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was hard, and it's still hard. Um, probably because the most of the editorial team, which is our like our op staff, you know, this is all our side jobs. Mm. So it's whatever we can do, you know, in the evenings and yeah. the weekends and you know, a lot of you know, a lot of emails don't get answered for a while and you know, but but uh but what what really launched it was that um I asked General Bowers, who was the MCU president at the time, about this idea. And I pitched it to him uh, over in my deli, right across the street from here. You know, he he came in for lunch. Nice. And then uh, I knew him because of the PhD program, and he actually sat with me. He's like, "Oh, you just started talking about the PhD program," and I had this sort of sketchbook and ideas. Like, "Hey, sir, by the way, what do you think of this comic?" You know, as I'm, you know, trying to eat my Philly cheesesteak sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and, he, and you know, he looked at it. He was like, "Oh, it's interesting," uh, but you know. And this is when I tried to tell him about this more admin idea about like you know, yeah, yeah, bringing all these. He's like, oh no, you can't do that. But but what he said was like, oh, you gotta make a prototype and let me see what it looks like, and you know, we'll go from there. But you know, consider me, you know, I'm a supporter and go use our go go use our services and let them know that I um I'd support you guys, and that's all I needed. Like oh man, that top down sort of that top cover, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's when Relax Center's like, okay, the generals on board, we're on board, and then MCU Press is like, okay, we're on board too. So now I get to engage with the resources there because it's, this is the general was interested you know yeah it just happened really cheesesteaks man my Philly makes yeah. the world go around me being a nasty body eating a cheesesteak with, with my little notebook but i happen to have like my pronouns and some ideas and i don't even know why I, why I was there i think i was trying to pitch the krulak center on this okay but this was the push we needed and that that helped that helped sort of formalize the program and it was easier to get people to support it's like hey we're like an mcu program and we're trying to do this do you want to be a part of it it's like okay instead of just a couple of majors sitting around right 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 yeah uh, hey we're gonna make a comic book right it's like a <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um and we still get that look sometimes <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's so cool yeah so, so you'd say like probably until you got that top cover it's kind of like the audible back molar suck when you're mentioning like it was yeah. like we didn't know how to really like 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 where do you begin like how do you mm -hmm. 
but it was just sort of that that one moment and it was part of that phd program i had a relationship with them through that and he knew me already and um and I, I was I felt comfortable pitching with them right there on the spot. It's like, yeah. hey, fortune favors the brave. They taught us that totally, on TBS. Totally. Have your elevator <laughs> speech, man. Have right. your elevator speech. Yeah. Right. I had it next to my nasty nasty sandwich, and I did it. Yeah, that's great. Right. But that's such a good story, and I I, I I find that so encouraging because there's so many times where you're passionate about something and you just hit obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, and you're just like, you know what? F it, man. I this is just not <laughs> right. gonna happen. But yeah, keep with it, right? You never know. Philly right. cheesesteak sandwich and a in a general. You never know. My maybe. deli yeah. where, my deli where dreams can happen. It can turn. <laughs> <laughs> it's called the crossroads of the Marine Corps for a reason, right? right? Um so the, what was it like then going from concept to print? Like you said, like so MCU press was involved now. So then was it just like we just got this momentum, we're just rolling, 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 or you're like Right. Uh so ideas are getting ahead of the of the like the practice exactly of. that so we were okay. like all right so we just start uh, looking for authors and we're just looking for artists and we're like oh let's get it together they were like oh what do we actually tell them like you know how do you because i'm uh i have some art and architecture background but it's like in terms of like designing a comic i was like i really don't have any real professional instinct on how to do this and, and you know you you come very you bump up to the truman wall very quickly yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, what, am I, what am i doing here <laughs> so we start looking for help and um, so I look online looking for – so initially we thought we needed artists, like professional artists. So I was in a pitch Marine Corps uh, University Foundation for money to go hire artists, and we didn't – and uh, we couldn't get that much money, and it was actually a very difficult thing to do. So at one point, one of the um, other uh, editors, her name is uh, Major Sarah Wood, who worked at Mackayak, she's like, hey, we need to do this in-house. Let's get these people in Mackayak. Let's get these people at the ComCam centers or, mm -hmm. or defense media, you know, the defense media agencies and stuff like that. Let's get to this, do this all in-house because it was a money issue at first. It's like, uh, this is really difficult to coordinate. So like, okay, let's do that. But we still needed some, like, uh, support. So I found this guy named Gabriel Pons who, who owns a comic shop in, um, in Fredericksburg. And just reached out to him out of the blue, and uh, I think via Twitter or, or Facebook, I think it was via Twitter. I was like, "Hey, we're trying to do this. Would you be interested in uh, helping us out?" And he and he was like, "Yeah, he's he's very easy to work with, and he's still one of our artist mentors. If you see him on the on our uh, table of contents up front, we credit him as our as our mentor. But then the actual comic itself, we reached out. Um, I think we reached out to August Cole first because mm. we didn't know. I mean, we just had a relationship with him yeah, for other yeah, things. Yeah, Atlantic Council, yeah. Right, and he does stuff with the Marine Corps and the Air Force. But he was busy, so he directed us to his friend, Mark Sable. And Mark Sable is an actual comic writer, and I reached out to him via uh, Twitter again, I think, after um, August. Uh, you know, he must have prepped the battlefield for us. Mark was like, okay, yeah, let's do it. So he's been uh, very helpful, you know, between Mark, August, and Gabe. You know, we had some professional guidance on, like, hey, you should make it look like this. Make sure your stories look like this, you know, mm -hmm. uh, framing. You know, we, we, we've, we've had um, each of them, August, the August Marks pair, and also Gabe, you know, the, at the ahead of the front of every comic, they've given mentorship advice, and they interact with our writers, and they actually cool. trained us on how to, how to at least – working together and then there's also the university press who you know they we figure out the press guidelines and what they want and everything like that so you know there's a big family of people putting this thing together yeah. but you know because of us you know it was just an idea for us but we needed a lot of help and we, and we got it through you know but i think it all started really by having that top cover from general bowers yeah right. takes a village right right it takes definitely a lot of village that's so cool yeah, yeah and and i mean 
for nothing other than getting that direct mentorship is worth participating in. Oh yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. That's, I mean, you can't. People pay a lot of money for a seminar or a oh, workshop right. with these folks. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so where do you see it going? I know you mentioned you're on your third episode or your third uh, issue. Right. Um, are you guys going to? Yeah. Hi, where do you where do you see it going? Right. So, I mean, right now, I, I, I wish we could say we're we're like. Uh, organizationally much better we were than the first issue but we're not i mean i guess it's every every issue has its own set of problems you know our editors change and then the writers and authors who are you know around the planet also come from different places so we're so we haven't found a way to truly um like operationalize it like a business mm -hmm. because we're you know this is a side job for us but we're but the, the first thing we're going to do, we're, you know, we're actually writing down, we, we did a lessons learned thing, you know, with the help of the Krulak Center, we're writing down some SOPs, we're going to create like a, um, like a memorandum of agreement with MCU Press, so there's like this boring procedural okay. stuff we need to do with, you know, the people who support codifying us, it. to codify it, yeah. and the idea is like, once you do that, we can pass it on to the next generation of people who have the, the time and energy to do it, and then um, in terms of the, the real operational impact, uh, we want to actually pitch it to the people who actually run the PME school, so holds like the curriculums, and see if we can insert it into the 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 actual like um, at the end of each curriculum. They usually think about the future of warfare, or maybe in the middle, mm -hmm. and we want to get it in there. Right now, some instructors have done that on their own, but I don't know if we can actually codify it. That's like a big dream. The other big dream would be to actually link the stories we write to an to like a sponsoring office in the Marine Corps that actually cares about that story, mm. you know, if or you know whoever it is, if the yeah. CNO really cares about this thing, this thing, and his his uh, CNO strategy team's like, hey, would you write us a story on this? We want to do that, you know, have a customer and actually link it to the operational focus of the service. It doesn't have to be immediate, but you know, I know, you know, 30 years they're they're interested in, in sort of this uh, Arctic, you know, if you believe in the climate change and and, yeah. uh, and those uh, Arctic channels opening up. That's an issue for the Navy, and they said, "Hey, would you would you do a couple of stories for us with these ideas? Like we would want to do that." So it's to build this sort of operational links, you know, soft links, because we don't want them to like dictate yeah, what the artists right, do. Right, But that would be the way to professionalize it. So we're we're trying to professionalize it. So you know, right now we're still pretty nascent, I think. You know, with mm -hmm. working on our third issue, but to professionalize it procedurally and then to link it into the the business of the business of the organization. Is uh, where the the big thing is, and you know we've talked, and you know on the side we've talked like, oh, we should reach out to Disney and make a movie, but you know those are sort of yeah. lofty things. But you know we want to focus on the on the business of why are we doing it in the first place. And um, so yeah, so to that extent, so there are probably I would imagine some churn in the civilian sector that mm -hmm. sees a market for this, but you guys are trying to keep it people in uniform, right? Right, right. and I think that's the that's like the one like thing we got to hold ourselves to. Otherwise, it gets it could get, you know, diluted. Maybe not in a good way, bad way. But that part of the novelty of it is that it's by the warfighter for the warfighter. Mm -hmm. So we hold ourselves to it. You know, those are the ideas because you know these professionals and things like that. They get they have plenty of platforms, but how many do we have? I don't know. Right, and, and I think there's a little bit of a corrupting influence there too, because then it becomes about the business. Right. And you know, go back to like I like the rawness of it. Look at the matter of instinct. I don't know if you can tell, but there, you, some of them have like erasure lines. Yeah, you know, it's not, it's not perfect, but you know, we, that that's part of the, the, you know, the, the homebrew that we're doing. Yeah, you know, we yeah. We like it. It's yeah. like on a like a, 
<laughs> like the backside of a MRE box or something, right? <laughs> right. You know? It's a little like, bit of that. Yeah. In fact, that should that's a great idea. That should be like one of the the pages. Look, you know, something written on the on an MRE box. In fact, that's a great idea. Hey, that's what I'm here for, man. Yeah, I'll cr- <laughs> we'll, we'll credit you Drop for that. Drop the microphone, maybe end the po- end it over there on a the high MRE note. box pages. That's right. <laughs> um, and so I guess to get in a little more pricklier uh, subject. So, have you seen any? Have you experienced any pushback or any criticism? I have had, yeah, we definitely had some criticisms from academics who might not like the story or thought it was, you know, that it was sort of like that subjective type stuff. But okay. generally, you know, I guess if there are negative remarks, people have kicked them to themselves okay. because, you know, it's we 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 try not to get too arrogant about this, but it's just a it's a science experiment in itself. You know? Right, right. It's our it's sort of like a, a passion project, and you know, it's not always great. Yeah, I think I think that um, it, I, I think. Anybody who reads this and then is going to try to break it down, you know, from a strategic standpoint, is probably missing the point. Right. Um, that you know, if you're going to try to read the chicken bones, right. You know, I I want to know more about what thematically I should be worried about, not like where was the chicken raised and was it like right, <laughs> you know, free range or not and vegetarian fed, like just. Let's get an idea here, and let's have a dialogue, like you mentioned earlier. That's right. It's the questions that come up afterwards, not the, you know, like oh, you can't have a, you can't have an astronaut cleaning windows, and one of the, you know, there's a panel of like astronaut yeah. clean, you know, because that's field day. But that was just a story. No one's gonna. That's just the. Yeah. You know, we're just telling stories. Yeah, know? yeah. It's just an image to show field day in, right. in in space. That's right. Yeah. No, that's cool. Um, Every Wednesday, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Every I Wednesday would, at the barracks. Yeah. It's. Uh, <laughs> It's a leadership opportunity. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, for every t- everybody who's ever been OOD on a field day night, you know, that's going to be a busy one. Right. Um, so I guess, so what's next for you? So we've, we're talking Destination Unknown. We're talking PhD program. Yeah, what's next? So I guess um, I'll tell you about where I'm going next and then a project that we're doing also with yeah, MCU. Yeah, let's – so I guess in terms of uh, me, I mean, the, the least important, but, you know, they're going to send me to PPNO. There's a strategy office in there, and I'm going to help the Marine Corps do strategically, you know, a lot yeah. of policies and maybe things help help a group of people, you know, come up with some new ideas for the service. So that's the, the media job, and I check in at PPNO in a couple of weeks. Nice. Um, Congrats. Yeah, looking forward to it. So in terms of uh, actual, like, educational projects, I've been working with uh, MCU Crulock Center again, on this thing called the Barrel Fellowship, I don't know if I ever mentioned yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, we actually uh, got a uh, this ma- the September issue is going to feature a couple articles from the Barrel Fellows. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. Right. So the Barrel Fellowship is my, myself and another couple majors and working with the Krulak Center. But the idea is to uh, focus on on high level strategic issues. Uh, gather the scout, you know, gather the students from different PME institutions and also um, from the Op Four, which we did this last one. And we hold these like fellowship type seminars. You know, we did it all through Zoom last year because of the pandemic and yeah, COVID. Yeah. But the idea is that we fellows meet uh, once a month, uh, uh, you know, via Zoom or in person if we could do it. And you kind of go through, you know, we and we bring guests and we bring uh, some type of specialist to talk about an area of you know security interest. We do that over six or seven months, and there's an output. You know, for these fellows, is that you know that they have to produce a paper, and you guys are publishing some of them. They're actually pretty good in terms of the the space ones and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, that, they, I yeah, they're very good. Yeah. 
right? And we modeled this fellowship program off of the DC fellowship programs you see at different th think tanks. They do the same thing. They pull, you know, security, government professionals, and you meet once a month. They bring a lecture, but you, they don't always make you right at the end. But, you know, they, there's usually food. There's a fellowship in terms of networking. And, you know, you move on with that year, and you're always part of that system. And they send you emails and stuff like that, and, you know, you can network that way. So we're like, you know, we thought about this two years ago when we first created it. And we're like, why can't we do the same thing? And that's where the idea of the Barrow Fellowship. So the, the Barrow Fellowship is uh, General Barrow. He was our commandant in the um, early 80s, I think maybe late 70s. Uh, I think I'm going to get this wrong. but Because we'll, we'll edit in the right date. Yeah. Right? Uh, <laughs> you know, I think it's, yeah, but it was General Barrow. And he was one of our, one of our, you know, Cold War, Cold Cold War commandants. Like he had experience in uh, in China as a China Marine, Korea. He fought in Vietnam. Like he's he did all of it. Mm -hmm. So he was when, when we created the fellowship, it was right this idea of like great power competition and everything like that. So he was our commandant, great power competitor. We're like you know, so we named it after him. But that was the idea. So the first year we focused on sort of competition with China since that's a, since that was the, the big buzz and it still is in some ways. Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. second year we focused it on um, on sort of space and security. You know, the creation of the Space Force was, uh, you know, married up to that sure. year. And this year, you know, with the DOD uh, actually is, you know, saying that, you know, uh, climate is a national security interest. We're going to focus on the climate environment and see, you know, what are the issues? Because I'm actually pretty ignorant of it, but we get yeah. some professionals that talk about these different segments of what that means for security, you know, with a bunch of fellas. You know, we meet once a month, and then there's an output paper at the end, and hopefully you'll get some more uh, material for uh, the Gazette. Yeah, know, I can't wait. About a year from now. Yeah, yeah. nice. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. Um, I, I think that's so – I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of goodness. And, again, it's just, hey, are we going to engage in dialogue over right. these things? We're not necessarily looking for answers. Answers would be great, right? especially as we're talking about national security. But just – the journey's in the path, you know, to quote the Buddha. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, we got, we, we're not going to get there if we don't start taking these steps. That's right. And uh, you, f you force people to think and, and mix together, and hopefully good things happen, you know. Yeah. That's that's someone else's PME formula. We're just adding our own thing to it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think that I think there's, there's value there um, and not just being on the receiving end of other people's good ideas. Right. But to uh, to throw our, our hat into the uh, into the fray sort of thing, right? I guess it also helps that the Barrow Fellowship is that like this is part of the you know we could say this is part of the Marine Corps strategy program, and then when I go to PPNO, hopefully maybe it'll build a link between the the fellowship and you know the the business of the service, you know, yeah. because I know you know you know if we're st if we're still uh, uh, you know if we're still an amphibious warfighting organization, I think we care about. You know, if there's going to be more water or not. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be important. <laughs> right. Especially if not a lot of it is drinkable. Right. Think of a knuckle drag. I was like, oh, yeah, do we need more? If there's going to be more water. There are more places to get in. Yeah. And people fighting over water. Yeah. You know? well, and it's interesting you mentioned uh, our business because, you know, uh, at a very overly simplistic level, yeah, our business is warfighting. Sure. But our business to be a good warfighter is to be a thinker. Right. And to start to project out. Because I can't continue to fight yesterday's wars. That's right. Because then I'll continue to lose tomorrow's wars. Right. And uh, I mean, uh, Victor Krulak, actually, no, uh, Chuck Krulak, our former commandant, um, he has a great uh, quote that the Krulak Center uses all the time. But, uh, you know, it's the, uh, you know, we, we train for uh, things we know and we educate for the things we don't know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we hope we're part of that latter part. Yeah. Amen to that. Well, um, 
we're coming to the end of our time here, man. This has been really great. Yeah. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, but one of the things I want to ask you, uh, so we end on a high note, is what was your best day in the Marine Corps? Oh, man. Best day in the – so there was a day. I, got, I mean, there, there were – I'll be selfish. There was, a, there was a neat day when I was uh, in Iraq in 2007, and uh, we – you know, I went on a convoy with – I was with the 7th ESB, and I went on a con- went on one of our first convoys with, you know, I needed to see how radio operators worked, you know, in terms of supporting the convoys, and I also needed to see how they manage our uh, ECM systems, our uh, yeah, ca- yeah. kind of RCIED, mm-hmm. and seeing that stuff. But it was a it was a long convoy. I'm not sure I remember where it was, but we crossed the Euphrates, and during during that day, so you know, it was it was seeing my tr- my my our radio operators, our homegrown radio operators that were not radio operators, they were engineers that we had to pull from different parts mm-hmm. of the unit. So we homegrown them, seeing them in action in terms of you know m- managing the convoy, doing that mission. And then we crossed the Euphrates. That was pretty neat. We crossed back. And then that day, I went to some training in, um, in uh, I think, in, in Camp Taiji, north of Baghdad. And, you know, you went on an Osprey ride. So and that happened in, like, a 12-hour span. Dang, nice. That was a lot of, like, it was like sensory overload, you know, yeah. seeing the, the Marine thing, crossing the Euphrates, kind of just kind of being a, a, a military tourist, which is what we are sometimes when we're out there. And then flying to Osprey, going to learn about counterinsurgency and meeting these like Iraqi generals talk about how to fight out in Iraq. I was like, holy shit, this all happened in a 12-hour period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were a one-man MAGTAF. Right, a one-man MAGTAF. That's right. <laughs> awesome. right yeah, unstoppable. First Lieutenant Yang, watch out. <laughs> in the fight. Yeah, that was a pretty neat day. Well, Major Yang, thank you so much for being here. This has been great. Um, and... We'd love to have you back. Uh, I know once you go up and see the Pentagon, your time will no longer be yours. But if you get some free time, and especially as some of these future initiatives start to bear fruit, we'd love to have you back, man, talk about it. Uh, absolutely. Thanks. And uh, this is great. And I hope uh, hopefully your, your listeners like it. But this is a great format. And, and um, I'm looking forward to see what you guys produce. Sweet. Me, us too. Yeah, yeah. But hey, Destination Unknown for everybody out there, come check it out. Uh, they're on their third volume, or a third episode, uh, or third issue right. of the first volume. Is that right? Am I saying uh, that right? Third volumes, I don't know. We yeah, just yeah, call yeah. volumes right there's, now. There's, there's three <laughs> of them out there, man, so check yep. them out. These things are great. And uh, if you got you got some thoughts about the future, contribute, please. That's right. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you. Bye. Scuttlebutt is a production of the Marine Corps Association. I am Nick Wilson. That is Major Vic Rubel, U.S. Marine Corps retired. You have also heard the voices of or contributions from William Truding or Nancy Lichman, editors of Gazette and Mother Neck magazines, respectively. Opinions expressed in Scottlebutt are just that, opinions, and do not represent any official stance of the MCA.